0: Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible.
1: It's so- tonight, if you have a Bible, you can open up to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And as we come to 2 Samuel chapter 7, we pick up where David had brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, to the city of David. He's super excited. It's it's a really great time for Israel. He's now the king of all 12 tribes of Israel. The kingdom's consolidated. No more divided kingdom with Abner and uh, Ishabeth and all that. One kingdom, one king. The tribes united. It's It's a You know, you could say it's an apex for the nation of Israel, because they went through hundreds of years of the judges, where they're always getting beat down by their enemies, and then they had the time of Saul, which was choppy, pursuing David, and all that confusion, and suddenly there's order, there's peace, God is prospering. It's a really good time for the nation of Israel. It really is the apex and zenith of the best they've ever been in the promised land, and God is really with them. He's got his man leading the country, David, and it's all there. So with that background, David is rejoicing. He brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. The tabernacle and the Ark is no longer over here, but it's centralized. It's it's Everything's just like really like it's exciting. They had the big party, and everyone's rejoicing. They went home with full bellies. is the ultimate gathering in Jesus' name as a shadow of things that come in the Old Testament with Jehovah. Now, when you come to chapter 7, what happens is David is just... He's fired up, like he's fired up in the Lord. He's fired up on all the good things of God. So he has this idea, like, oh, I want to build a temple. Like, I want to build God a house. Because he has his, he's got his house going. And he's like, he's like, a lot of people are like, I want to do something great for the Lord. I want to, I want to build God a house. And Nathan, the prophet's like, well, that, that sounds like a good idea. I can see why you'd want to do that. Because on paper, it looks like a good idea. So Nathan's like, do whatever's in your heart. Because you're the man after God's own heart. And then at night, the Lord comes to Nathan and I goes like, "No, no, that's not the right answer. It is, it is a good idea, but it's not for I didn't give you this idea, and it's not for this timeline, Which is interesting, because of course, David did want to build the temple his whole life. He accumulated wealth that he left for his son Solomon to use in building the temple. Solomon did, in fact, build the temple. The presence of the Lord came upon the dedication. the Shekinah glory came upon the dedication of the temple. It was amazing. Centuries later, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed that temple. And then about a century later, Zerubbabel and Ezra and those guys, they rebuilt the temple, and that was a glorious thing. And that's the fortified temple that Jesus came to when he entered the temple. Then Jesus was crucified with the false claim that he would tear down the temple. Remember that false accusation? But he's speaking of his body. Three days, I'll destroy this. So the temple was involved in that. Then Jesus said that when the apostles came to him, talking about, look at this temple, it's amazing. He's like, that's nothing, it'll be gone in no time. And that one stone will be left upon another. So that second temple was completely destroyed. Then in the book of Acts, when Stephen's preaching before he was stoned by the religious leaders, he talked about the temple and how God doesn't dwell in a temple and how could the, a temple contain the God of the universe with the trillion galaxies. Essentially, that's what He said, then we're told in the book of Revelation there's going to be another temple. And so there's a lot of people waiting for a new temple to be built in Israel because we're told that the Antichrist will go in that temple, and that's a prelude for the King, return of the king and the kingdom of God being established on earth. So the whole idea of building a house for God, that, you know, David's like, I want to build a house for God. And it's like it's a good idea, and God tells Nathan, well, that's not it, so that's not what's going to happen. But when you really think about the history of the temple and what's was happened, with the temple and its connection to Scripture, Solomon, all these things, it's like, David, that's just not for you. That's just, I didn't ask you to do it. It's not for you. But God, in fact, says to Nathan, tell David something better than that. Instead of him building me a house, I'm going to build him a house. And I'm going to make his i make his kingdom an everlasting kingdom. And his descendants will reign after him. There will be no end to his kingdom. Now, this part of the chapter 9 is prophetically speaking, of Jesus coming, because Jesus comes from the seed of David. He takes the title of son of David through Mary, the virgin birth. So David, David had this promise made to him that his kingdom would be everlasting and established, and we know for a thousand years in time, space, and matter, with men and women. I mean, a thousand years later, Mary is the hero of perhaps all women in the Bible, carrying the child, Jesus, from a virgin birth. She's the descendant of the promise of chapter 7 here, a thousand years later. So what God spoke to David was true because Mary is his descendant that carries the Son of God, Jesus himself. Let alone all those kings like Derubabal and Hezekiah and Josiah that were good. They're all descendants of David. But the real focal point of the promise of an everlasting kingdom is not so much David's kingdom. Because ultimately, the two run parallel. David's is an earthly kingdom. But the eternal kingdom runs through David. And that's really the greater picture. So ultimately, when God tells through Nathan, David, look, your throne will be established forever. He said that in verse 16 of chapter 7. Your throne will be established forever. It's really pointing to Jesus and the kingdom of God. And in this prophecy, God says, I've established you, David. I've established my people, Israel. And I'm going to establish my kingdom, your kingdom forever, which ultimately is God's kingdom. Well, then David's like, wow, I don't know what to say, because it's like how we are. So often we want to do things to please God or earn God's favor. But grace is believing God, receiving his promises, and gaining his favor through faith and believing, not through works of doing, right? And we can all relate to that because it's in us to want to do something, to earn something. But right here, God's just really presenting the gospel of grace to David. David's like, I want to do this for you. I want to do this good work. I was like, sit down. I'm going to do good work for you by grace you've been saved, that through faith, not of works. And then ultimately, David is God's workmanship, and God had a work through David, even as we're told in the New Testament with believers that we're his workmanship, and God has a work through us. This is important to the context of this chapter before we get into our application, because we want to frame it in its historical context in the understanding of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The promise that God made to David through Nathan is really the promise of the gospel of grace that we're saved through faith in what God promises us, not what we do for him or to earn favor or even a result of what he's doing in and through us. And in this background, the latter part of chapter seven, David's like, Lord, your your word's amazing. You're just amazing. And you're amazing to your people, Israel. You're amazing to me. I don't even know what to say. And then at the very end of the chapter, he says in verse 28, and we look at these two verses. So as David pours out his heart, he's going like, God, you are so good. I don't even know what to say. He's He's just blessed beyond measure. And he says, And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. What an amazing end to David's prayer because we have all these psalms with David where we see his prayers before the Lord in his psalms. And here we have, we have already had a couple songs of David already in going through the historical books, but here we have this prayer that gives us great insight of the man who had a heart for God and how he ends his prayer upon being told by God, you're not going to build me a temple. I'm going to build you an everlasting kingdom. Now, since the things of Christ are shadows of things to come, but the fullness is Christ in the Old Testament, in David's understanding with this prayer, he would understand this and receive it in its context that God's saying, from your descendants, the kingdom's established forever. He, he wouldn't really have the full understanding that it's not just his house, But through his house, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, would come. That's not an understanding that David would fully have in the context. But, of course, we now, with the New Testament, the church looking back, we understand that more fully. And that is the high point over the passage. But in the context, David's just like, he's like all of us in the church age going like, when God just pours out his blessings, I was like, (laughs) like, who am I? Like... Lord, you're so good, like, what can I even say? Like, you've blessed us with, you you've brought this to pass, you brought that to pass, and you've blessed our children and our grandchildren and our, our children's children, and you've, you've prospered our business, and you've done this, and you've done that, and you've, you've chastened us and molded us and shaped us and corrected us and made us more like you, where you just, you just go like, Lord, you're just such a blessing God, and you're so good, even when, like, you spanked me, you're good. Because whom the Lord loves He chastens. And as we mentioned on Tuesday night, his end is always good, and by faith we know that He's going to always do good and work things together for good for His followers, the church. Now, God is good to all humanity. He's great to His universe. Everything in the universe he's good too, even in His fallen effect of sin over the entire universe. He's good to He's good to people who hate Him, and He's especially good to those who love Him. He's He's for humanity because God loved the world; He gave His Son. Right. That whoever believes in him would not perish. So we know God's heart is for humanity, and we know that while we we're yet enemies, Christ was reconciling us to himself through the cross. We've got to keep that in mind when we think about the loss. Yes, they're under the wrath of God, which is revealed against all ungodliness and men who suppress the truth and ungodliness. But we also know that God's not willing and should perish, and that he's long-suffering, bringing people to repentance. This is really important to understand in every generation of the church, because it's understanding the heart of God for our generation, whether we lived in 300 AD, 750 AD with Charlemagne, Char- Charlemagne or whoever, like in all the history of the church, state churches, Catholic church, how the church looked for 2,000 years, Protestant reformations, Quakers in Pennsylvania in the 1700s, whatever it is, God is, sent his son for humanity, not because we're good, but because we're lost and we need to be saved. But his ultimate goodness is directed toward those who, as many as believe in him and receive him, who become the children of God and become adopted into his family, which is the church. So in this chapter, when David's talking about, when God talks about his blessings upon Israel, and then David talks about his blessing upon Israel, the people themselves, people of covenant, because this is God making a covenant with David, we realize we are the people of covenant. God has a blessing for humanity, He has a blessing for the nation of Israel, not yet complete. But his ultimate blessing is for the church, because what he's doing for Israel ultimately is for the church, and what he's doing for the nations is ultimately for the church. So tonight, as we gather in Jesus' name in this facility, we are the children of blessing through faith in Jesus Christ. We are daughters of the king. We are sons of the king. And those blessings and promises that are yes and amen, they are ours. And I've been saying time and time again lately as we've gone through this book, they're no greater or lesser for you than they are for me. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we receive all the blessings. And they're applied to us. Now, with that in mind, as we look at these couple of verses, in this tail end of, of David's prayer, he's not a man who's frazzled or unsettled. You know the next chapter, it's like war, 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 war. The next chapter, we study Tuesday night, he's got to take on the Amalekites and the Moabites and the Syrians and their buddies and their alliance. And, the, and he's, you, you know what he's got to do? He's got to go give the entire surrounding region a beat down. That's what he does. You know, a lot of chapters in the Bible where Israel fights people, they lose because they're being chastened by God. David's, David's like blessed by God. He gives everybody in chapter 8 a beat down. He takes tribute. He pays and pay taxes. He's like puts a garrison in their city. He's like don't mess with Israel in the time of David. And then Solomon just kind of expanded even farther like, yeah, don't mess with my dad either or me. Right? So there's this two generation zenith of Israel that was never equaled again in 1,500 years of their existence as a nation. And this is important, too, because all those battles in the next chapter follow this prayer in this chapter. So he's got the perspective that God is in control. He's going to go fight these people. And here's the thing about, in the context of the Bible, the Syrians, the Amalekites, Edomites, the Moabites, you know, they're there in every generation, just because you beat them down in your generation in 1,000 B.C. doesn't mean your, your grandson, Rehoboam, doesn't have to take them on in 900 B.C. In other words, the enemies of God are there until Christ comes and splits the Mount of Olives with his return. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear the whole world comes together at to Armageddon to fight God, led by Russia and the kings of the East, which sounds like the BRICS if you know what the BRICS are. Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa... In case you don't know those terms, that's the acronym for the global money powers trying to compete with the West and the Western bankers. Yeah, just know this. The bricks are the ones running the planet on the day Christ comes back. They're leading the charge and they're going to lead the charge. That's what's going to happen. The Bible makes that very clear. But until that happens, there's going to be humanity at war with God and the church is going to be on planet Earth representing Christ and the heart of God to humanity that's at war with God. Did you follow that? It's like a chalkboard equation. It's not Einstein. It's just Joey's simple biblical explanation. There is a world of humanity at war with God. And the church exists to be ambassadors for God and the cross of Jesus Christ to show them the heart of God and win them to Christ. And we know that the wrath of man produces not the righteousness of God, but that a soft answer turns away wrath. So the way to win the world is not through pride, anger, and raging, but the way to win the world is through humility, brokenness, love, and service. This is the way of the cross. That's why Jesus himself said the greatest in the kingdom of God is what? He's the servant. She's the servant of all. We don't rule the world by conquering it. We win the world by dying for it this is very important to understand on second half of 2022. David is not moved by the, the trials and tribulations he's had to this point in his life, 40-ish, have shaped him to be an incredible man of God, ready for greatness. And the uncertain future, which is endless wars against enemies of God, is going to be there till the end of his timeline. But really, what became David's biggest problem in his life? Was it Edomites? Moabites, Amalekites. The biggest problem in David's life was the person in the mirror. The Edomites didn't bring David down, his lust for his buddy's wife brought him down. It wasn't Amalekites that caused his sons to give him all that grief and problems, it was his decision to multiply wives that caused him griefs and problems. Which is what I've been saying for about the last 10 years. My problem on planet Earth, for me personally, is not people in power. It's the person in the mirror, and I receive that for me. And I think those that have a mature mind receive it for you. Yeah, it was an epiphany about ten years ago. I realized, you know, like I've been on planet Earth for fifty years. I've been sixty now, but about ten years ago, I've been on planet Earth for fifty years, and suddenly this epiphany, like you know, like all these things that upset me and all these people in power, I just like, rah, and I'm like, urgh, and I'm like. They've never really affected me negatively in my life, but my sin has affected me very negatively in my life. This guy, this woman, he never. They never came and took anything from me. I just let them upset me and ah, and like. But really, my problems are me, the person in the mirror. And this again is contextually very important because in this prayer of David, we have to understand it's not about Edomites, Amalekites, Moabites, and anyone else out there that is raging against God. It is about God is on the throne. He wants us to have a heart for him and he wants us to live a proper life for him and that's really what it's about. And the woman who does that and the man who does that has peace. And that's what it's all about. So as we look at this text, he's really, you know, David is this is what he's saying to the church tonight. Be blessed. God is in control. That's what David's saying right here. Hey, you're daughters of the king. Be blessed. God is in control. If it's health, be blessed. God is in control. If it's finances, be blessed. God is in control. If it's political people that want to destroy the church, God is in control. Anything that could upset us when we walk out these doors... We have to decide through self-determination if we're going to choose to be blessed and trust that God is in control or we're going to get moved from the place of faith and confidence in the Lord and forget that God is in control and allow ourselves not to be blessed by the things of the Lord. God wants to do a work in his church in 2022, part two. He wants to do a work in each of our lives in every season we're in. And if we make that the focal point of our life, we'll let him run the universe. There's a trillion galaxies out there, and he knows the name of every single planet and asteroid and comet in these galaxies. He knows the name of every single one of them. He knows the hairs on our head, he knows the DNA of the one cell that you were in your mother's womb that made you who you are. So it's a good word to be reminded tonight to be blessed, like David, because David had the heart for God. So what do we learn from the heart for God when he's praying to God? Be blessed. God is in control, not your boss not your neighbors, not political powers, global conspiracy powers or whatever. God is in control. So you look at his prayer. And now, oh Lord, drum roll, and now, oh Lord, like a drum roll, and now, oh Lord, you are God. You are, are God now doesn't that just solve like everything that's wrong in your life right now oh I thought I was God I thought I have to resolve this I thought I have to carry this I thought I need to figure this out I thought the doctors were God I thought the government was God I thought my boss was God no you Jehovah are God and the earth is your footstool you are God it's kind of like the Lord's Prayer When you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's just another way of saying you are God. We talk about framing and branding things in 2022. Hey, frame and brand everything over our lives and this church and your home. You are God. That's a mic drop for you younger people. You are God. Boom. Because, what can any demonic force or entity, Satan himself, or any created being say that can trump that or usurp that statement for final authority in this universe and in your heart? You are God. Boom. That's a perspective we need over everything in our lives in all things. So it's good to remind ourselves tonight, God is in control. He's in control of the physical laws of the universe. You know, gravity is working the same way today as working yesterday. The way it worked for Michelangelo, the way it worked for all the great kings and queens of the past. Gravity worked for Queen Victoria, Peter the Great, Catherine the Great. Yeah, gravity works for Everybody. It worked this way in, you know, Continental Congress, 1775, 1776. It, you know, gravity during the Revolutionary War, gravity worked the same for the French, the British, and the Americans, and the Germans, right? The gravity is still working the way it works. The physical laws that guide our universe where all these asteroids and comets. like Billions of them are just swirling around, not hitting our planet. It's all, I mean, occasionally a comet hits us like, you know, the big meteor park in Arizona off the 40, but, you know, like, and we're still here. Like, it's all working the way it's supposed to work, the physical laws of the universe. And we need to be reminded of that. This universe doesn't go boom, boom until the Lord says it's boom time. And we'll know when it's boom time because we'll be in glory. This clockwork of the universe and the physical laws In spite of sin, where entropy works against us, that we are getting older, physically moving toward death, they're working the way He set them up to work. And they're going to keep working until He makes a new heaven and a new earth. And the spiritual laws, they're working exactly the way they set them up. The spiritual laws are working. Sowing and reaping, it worked in the Old Testament the way it works in the New Testament. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. If you're a giver, in the year of uh, 1000 B.C., you're a giver. Guess what? You get the blessings. If you're a taker, guess what? You get nothing. You're as much a loser then as you are 3,000 years later. Givers give because they're always willing to keep on giving because they're always willing to keep on forgiving. Takers take. It's never enough. You've only taken almost all your stuff. The world is, can be divided by saved and unsaved and then givers and takers. That's pretty much the way it is. Some people just live to give, and those same people who give, they forgive. But the takers take, and it's never enough. Well, you want to take almost all your stuff. And they work with you, they live in your neighborhood, and they come to church. Hopefully not here. But you know, you wouldn't want to stick around, because we want to give. We sow. You could change your DNA and your culture, and you do just fine at WG. But if you're a taker, you're, not just, you're just not going to do really well at WG. It just doesn't work. It's a very generous church. All of you, I look around, you people are very, very generous. We're all in it together. We sow bountifully. We're, we're just sowing and sowing.
0: You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.